Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. School is starting soon, and I'm a teacher, and if there's anything that I'm good at, it's assigning homework. School has been out for a while, so I need to get back into the swing of assigning homework again, and I can't think of a better way to do that than by giving you, my faithful listeners, some homework to do. So, what do I have in mind? Well, this is episode 10, and episode 13 is coming really soon. It's already recorded, in fact, and it's really good but generally the number 13 is not associated with anything positive now i'm not superstitious but i thought it might be fun if any of you listeners could send me some stories about your unluckiest moments while hunting i probably won't be able to use every story submitted but i would love to have as much participation from all of you wonderful listeners as possible You can share your stories with me through the contact link on firstgenhunter.com or through direct message on Facebook, Instagram, or Go Wild. I can't wait to hear about your bad luck, and I mean that in the nicest way possible. Anyway, I've been super excited to release this episode. All of our interviews have been fantastic so far, and as soon as they finish, I can't wait to share them with you all. Today's is no exception. Today, Brandon and I are interviewing avid outdoorsman and outdoor children's author, Mr. Kevin Lovegreen, who authors the wildly popular Lucky Luke series of books. If you have kids, nieces, nephews, grandkids, students, or any other kind of kid that you would love to get hooked on the outdoors, you got to tune into this one. And now, for your regular melodic magic, a first-gen hunter interview with author Kevin Lovegreen. Well, hey, Brandon, it's great to uh, catch up with you again, man. It's, it's, uh, we can't really fool the listeners here. We're recording this, this pregame show (laughs) as a postgame event, right? (laughs) <laughs> that's true. and you know what it was a great game so i mean we're if you we just feel jacked right now that's right that's right <laughs> but we'll pretend like it didn't happen yet okay just, you're right right exactly <laughs> who knows what's about to happen here in about yes. you know 20 minutes or so um right. well hey uh real quick before i ask you your uh outdoor activity update mm-hmm. status you know what what you've been up to yeah. Uh, and the great outdoors. I came across something that um, is totally awesome. Mm. And uh, it has to do with a major issue that we talked about at length. And I believe it was episode one. And that mm-hmm. was uh, basically a sportsman's response to COVID-19. And okay. how 
uh, all these conservation and wildlife advocacy, I guess we could say, uh, mm-hmm. groups, Pheasants Forever, uh, National Wild Turkey Federation, um, mm-hmm. Whitetails Unlimited, Ducks Unlimited, um, QDMA, uh, and trouts or trouts trout unlimited uh mm-hmm. you know we could just go right down the list then how they had their banquets most of them uh canceled and and, yes. and for good reason you know i think they all made the right call to do so and it shows that mm-hmm. um you know you know i think a lot of times nonprofit organizations get the false ac- accusation all they want is my money man and mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and yeah obviously that's not the case because a lot of these places or organizations were shutting down banquets um, without the state telling them to do so right. beforehand. So that shows they do care about you, but they also yeah. care about all of our wildlife. So uh, they're, they're, they're extra good people, <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, we need to help them. And one yeah. of the ways that um, we've talked about before was, you know, maybe renewing early, maybe upping your membership status level, maybe, Mm -hmm. um, just, just giving them money, you know, just saying, Hey, here's a, here's a donation. Um, one other way, one other really stinking awesome way that we can do this. And it doesn't cost us a dime. In fact, it costs the man a dime. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? The, I know what you mean. The 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 billionaires, the 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 people that that we're always complaining that need to pay for more, even though that's not even necessarily the the right attitude to have. But mm-hmm. just in case somebody's of that of that uh, mindset, this this will really um, make you happy because this is a way to raise money for these conservation groups without having to pay it yourself. And that's simply by using Amazon smile and Amazon smile. Um, will it's a program where they take every purchase done through Amazon Mm -hmm. and they donate an amount of money towards, uh, a charity of your choice. And I okay. was curious. They have some default ones that that you know the 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 main ones that they would like to see people uh, give to you know, which is great. That's hey, it's sure. their thing. They want to. Yeah. They have their their um, you know, specific interests just like we do, um, mm-hmm. but they don't just limit you to that. If you do a little clicking around and searching around and and typing things in, and what I found was what I had hoped would be the case. And mm. that was you could search up pheasants forever. Um, I only searched up actually pheasants forever and um, QDMA groups, but mm-hmm. I'm sure there were NWTF ducks unlimited things oh, like yeah. that as well. Yeah. And not just like, Oh, donate to pheasants forever, which is great. But, we would like to see an effect where we hunt the most, right? I mean, that's Mm -hmm. why they have the different chapters. You know, those different chapters are addressing the specific habitat and wildlife needs in your specific region. And so what I found was actually many of the individual chapters of these organizations are listed under Amazon Smiles charity list and so i was actually able to set up for my amazon smile donation group uh 
QDMA branch that affects where I hunt. And wow. Yeah, that was pretty cool. I and yeah. once again, didn't cost me an extra penny. Um, it was it was uh, all uh, money generated through the Amazon uh, Smile, the generous Amazon Smile donors. And so, mm. man, I was just thinking, you know, either A, everybody already knows about this because it's so stinking simple, or yeah. B, there's like a ton of money that's that's uh remember that that uh like tax season commercial where they would like they had that guy i think it was like an hr hr block commercial and they're like last year americans failed to claim six billion dollars yes. you know and they like yes like these pallets of cash sitting on an aircraft mm-hmm. carrier or something you know it, i kind of got that picture in my mind i was like man all the junk that i buy online and i could be Every single time, giving a small contribution to right. to conservation. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. So no brainer. I don't know. Maybe everyone already knew about it, and uh, I'm just that clueless. I mean, I already know I'm pretty That's, clueless, but no. But, hey, it's great information. Yeah. So, so uh, I would strongly encourage everyone to um, get that set up on their their phone app for shopping at amazon or their on their online based account um Mm -hmm. if you aren't sure how to do it google it you'll be able to find it pretty easy in fact i think even amazon uh includes their own tutorial to show you how to do it so a really really generous program that that amazon puts on and we as hunters and anglers should definitely be be uh taking advantage of that and and um helping out with with the conservation effort financially. And then, since you didn't have to give any extra money through that, maybe use some of that extra money you have laying around, right? Yeah, right. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, if you right. do have some, maybe, <laughs> wish. Yeah. maybe the tooth fairies <laughs> visited you lately or, uh, you know, whatever. It throw, throw some extra dollars towards conservation, especially this year yeah. as, as yeah. Um, uh, they've th- they've been kind of hurting. So. Yeah. So that's been that was that that's got me fired up. If you haven't been able to tell, um, I was yeah, pretty excited about awesome. that. But yeah, once again, all the listeners are going to probably be like, "Dude, we've been doing that for ten years." Hey, you know, so. and you know what? If they have, that's awesome. Hey, that's great. <laughs> <you know>? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully, hopefully it helps helps a few people get on board with it. Yeah. Well, let's let's hear an update, Brandon. Um, here we are. Uh, this isn't necessarily the timeline when um, this episode is going to drop. It's probably going to be several weeks from now, but um, very late June. Mm-hmm. Um, we're about to hit the hottest time of the year. Yep. Um, June, I've always kind of regarded as like probably the best fishing month. You know, mm-hmm. it's like yep. things are, yep. are the, the water's getting to its, its, you know, perfect temperature for the fish to be really active and yes, a lot of insects have hatched and, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, the fish are kind of putting on the weight. It's, it's uh, of course you had your spawn magic back in the, yep. the spring. Now you kind of get a, yeah. kind of get a, get the post spawn fish and, and, uh, starts to get to that top water time of year, which is my favorite time of year to be fishing for yes. bass. And yes, how have things been going, man? 
Oh man, it's been it's been an exciting spring for sure. Just been really. I mean, you mentioned that that kind of that spawn post spawn just explosion. You know, I, I know I mentioned on a recent episode. You know, we had just an epic time recently, um, catching a hundred. You know, and I was blessed mm-hmm. to actually. Uh, you know, I I calculated everything. I I you know keep personally keep a journal. Um, as well, just in terms of, um, all the individual fishing trips, uh, that I go on with, you know, with different groups and myself. And, um, so I was able to actually catch 39 that day, which, you know, was actually my personal best nice. of all time, which was just amazing. Uh, we've been back out several times. Um, the fishing is definitely, it, it's, it's getting a little tougher, um, in terms of, you know, we're not catching a hundred, <laughs> right, right. but I, I probably won't do that again for another 10 or 15 years anyway. Um, but, but, you know, we, we're, we're still catching a lot of real solid ones you know this it, this just kind of gets, gets that time of year here in Delaware we've had I mean it was like we went from a very wet cool spring to it was like it was like a, a switch got flipped and we just went straight summer you know so sure. we started having those 90 plus degree days and very little rain you know for for weeks on end and now it's kind of catching up with the fishing a little bit you know where the fishing's really great early morning. It's really great late evening. But beyond that, you know, it's been, it's been, you know, getting a little tougher, but it's been great. I mean, we've still been able to catch, you know, pretty much every trip we're going out, we're catching, you know, ballpark, you know, 15 to 30, uh, wow. you know, and we're doing mainly, you know, largemouth bass fishing. I've been catching a lot of three, four or five pounders, um, you know, been blessed to, to have opportunity with that. I'm excited about um, doing just a little kind of friendly fishing tournament in a couple weeks, um, with some guys from church and just getting out cool. there and just, you know, enjoying that camaraderie, you know, we talk about these things. So, you know, a couple of the guys that are going, um, at least one of the guys, you know, has not really been exposed to fishing that much. So really excited to be able to get him out there and, and kind of build that love and that enjoyment. Um, and then I'm really excited in a, in a few weeks here in the latter part of July, I've, I've got a, a, a fishing trip lined up to go about 20 miles out, you know, off the coast. And, uh, we're going to be doing, you know, some, some, uh, black sea bass fishing we're gonna be doing some deep water flounder fishing uh maybe a couple other things depending on what we get into but i mean i'm really excited about that um you know i've I've, we kind of have a running joke in my family that anytime i plan a trip especially a deep sea trip we've done a lot of them over the years that and and something ends up happening you know i I, yeah yeah. i remember two years ago I, i planned a trip and my brother you know he loves to deep sea fish unfortunately he is very sensitive to seasickness um which oh, which no. he claims this was the lord's way of helping him not spend money because if he if he <laughs> wasn't so seasick he would go out all the time and i said you know and this is this is so funny this is anyone who who knows me this is like a classic brandon story so we 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 pull up to the dock and well, before that, I, I said, hey, Miles, you know, hey, you know, what? it's it's going to be fine. It's it's going to be calm out there. You know, these are like famous last words. Um, <laughs> we, we pull up and as we're getting to the spot where we're going to be going out with this with, you know, this captain, um, it's it starts to storm. I mean, oh, it starts no. to really storm. And, and, you know, I was I was I'm looking at the Doppler, you know, I'm studying the Doppler. I'm like, guys, it's going to blow over. It's going to it's going to be fine. So I walked over to the, the captain who was going to take us out. And he and he, no joke, he said, you know, it's kind of looking rough. If you guys don't want to go today, I mean, <clears throat> we can pick another day. And I said, well, you know what? I, we really, we really want to go. What I really meant is I really want to go. And, uh, it was me, my, my, my brother and my, my father. And, um, so he said, all right, well, I mean, Hey, if you, you want to go out there, I'll take you guys. And so we, <laughs> we went out oh, there and, and about, about, you know, uh, a quarter mile out in the ocean, it quickly became evident that, 
someone was going to get sick on this trip. Yeah. Um, and, and we went out there anyway and, you know, my brother was a trooper. He, you know, he got sick and even my dad wasn't feeling too good out there. For some reason, the good Lord has blessed me with just, uh, I mean, I just don't get sick. I love being out there. I can be out there all day, every day. I don't, it's, it's a curse probably. I don't know. But, uh, you know, we didn't end up catching any fish and it was, you know, it was just one of those times where you couldn't hold the bottom. The current was horrible. And, you know, then, and we spent a, a couple hundred dollars and, you know, at least we got to spend some time together. So, sure, sure. <laughs> so I'm really hoping that this trip kind of the stars line we've got you know some good conditions with the current you know the tides right all that type of good stuff so hopefully it will end up being a report of a successful fishing trip i'm trying to maybe get a guy or two out there that um don't typically get to go you know and so i love doing that you know being able to to get guys out there number one just the fellowship you know we've talked about this before but man you know just whether you're pheasant hunting or whether you're out on a fishing boat or whether you're just you know chatting with a guy in a deer stand because you know maybe you're getting him into it i mean that it's just special and so to be able to enjoy that uh you know is is special especially for for those of us who you know what i get it i'm a i'm a dad i'm a busy guy you know i don't get to do it as much as i would like to um so being able to get some of these individuals out that you know have you know really have the opportunity to do it even a lot less than i do it becomes really a special time so looking forward to kind of lining all that up and look forward to giving the update here in a couple weeks to let everyone know know how how it all turns out hopefully Knock on wood, fingers crossed, no one gets sick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hope not. Sounds like it won't bother you, though, if they do, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, well, it's it's funny, you know, I, I think I told a recent story where we went a couple years ago, and, uh, you know, we, we went, I, I, once again, Brandon Salt probably, you know, I thought we were going about three miles out, and we were driving for about 45 minutes, and I turned to the captain, and I said, how far out are we going? And he said, well, about 18 miles. And, uh, you know, I, I looked over at, at one of my buddies and as soon as the boat stopped, it's usually not the issue when you're riding out, but when you stop and you start to get, and it doesn't even have to be big waves, it's just that, you know, that yeah. those rolling waves. I turned over and I, <laughs> I, I have never seen someone so white and pale in my life. And it, you know, he spent the next eight hours, throwing up and and you know you felt terrible and you know here all of us we're just reeling in fish like i mean we're just we're just murdering and you know what he was able to reel in two fish he rolled he got a double of sea bass he reeled two in that was all the energy he had all day he he couldn't do any more than that and i mean you just feel terrible for someone like that but he was a trooper we said hey we can go back we can go he's like you know what guys no i'll deal with it you guys enjoy it so so we appreciated him being a trooper with that so hopefully hopefully i don't have any seasick stories to tell here in a couple weeks yeah (laughs) man i was just about to say i need to go deep sea fishing with you sometime yes i don't know i've never had trouble with seasickness but yeah maybe when i'm on brandon's boat i will i don't know (laughs) hey as long if you plan the trip we'll probably be okay if i plan the trip all bets are off (laughs) that's right that's right and speaking of planning trips yes uh we got something in the works we're not gonna we're not gonna we're not gonna reveal our our plan yet but but uh uh, hunt fish life and first gen hunter are going to go on the road together here yes. uh, soon and uh we're gonna, we're gonna do something pretty cool hopefully uh put yes. together a, a good story for you guys to follow along with and yes indeed. and hopefully we'll uh, have some success so yes we'll just even even if you are a part of the planning we'll just pretend that it's me so that way none of your bad luck can like uh <laughs> haunt us right yeah, yeah we we need, we need to make it through it to get back home to our family that's if I right plan it, we, uh, you never know what's gonna happen that's right that's right <laughs> so 
Yeah, yeah, we're I'm I've I've been like uh you know when your your kids uh like snuck a one too many drinks of your coffee or something or oh, they yeah, got into yep. like the Halloween candy or something and they're like all mm-hmm. oh, that's mm-hmm. kind of how I've been all day today because yeah. I'm just like amped for uh, mm. hunting season. In fact, last night yes. um I was editing the episode that's going to drop at midnight. Mm. Uh, so I guess tomorrow morning. Um, yes. And I started it with a countdown of, I just kind of went over the days until yes. different, different hunting season openers. And, yes. and, uh, man, I'm just, I'm stoked. I want to do some, uh, squirrel hunting this year. Nice. Want yes. to, um, I did doves last year. I'm, I'm really looking forward to doves again. I bought a bunch oh, of decoys yeah. last year. I can't wait to get those things out and yes, and uh, start start bringing those in. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm just I'm yeah I'm fired I, I, up. I'm right there with you. You just you just get you're like you like you said you're like a kid in a candy shop. You know things are getting closer. You know you're enjoying some of these peripheral things like the fishing, which is awesome. But you know, man, you look forward to hunting season. I know this you know this coming weekend actually here we are. You know right around July 4th, and this is kind of kicking off things for me in a sense because this weekend I'm planning on getting the mineral supplements out. I'm planning on getting the trail cams out. You know um, on the the four different properties that we hunt. You got everything in from uh, what I ordered to be able to go ahead and get that stuff out. So looking forward to just, I, I mean, you talk about a kid in a candy shop when you, when you're, you go to check those trail cams after the first few weeks of, mm-hmm. of, you know, that, that, that mineral, those minerals being out, those mineral sites. I mean, not only is it helping the deer, but you're getting just perfect pictures of, of, you know, deer that, that, you know, are on the property. And I mean, one of the, one of the real favorite things that we've really started enjoy started enjoying just over the last couple of years, you know, and I, I don't know why we didn't do it beforehand but we love naming deer and i I know we've talked about it a little bit but you know maybe a deer has just an uncanny you know uncannily high you know brow tines maybe you know maybe it's got a a stick or maybe it's got a you know kind of a kicker off the back you know just different things that you that you end up naming deer and it just kind of you know it makes them larger than life it almost makes it it makes it more enjoyable you're pursuing you know a a specific name of a deer i mean it's kind of cool to see them pop up on cam and then sometimes you know depending on when in the season you know you think man what happened to that deer and then two or three months later bam it shows up on camera and i mean it's it's just so cool to kind of go through. It's like an emotional kind of roller coaster yeah. as you as you study things. And I mean, you know, you just you just get excited and you really feel like, man, this is you know the kind of part of my extended family. You know, I'm, I'm kind of keep an eye on them. And, and in one sense, you know, many times you see a lot of ones that are like, wow, that might be an amazing two and a half year old deer. I tell you what, I'm just looking forward to watching him throughout the year and seeing what he turns into next year. You know, not even planning on necessarily harvesting him, but you know, man, wow. I mean, I'm just excited to watch him through the year and maybe put some eyes on him a time or two in the season and then see what he turns into the following year. So, I mean, it's just, it's just a cool time of year as we start to transition, you know, you, here we are, you know, starting to get to that point where, man, you're really going to be putting time in with practice in the bows and the archery equipment, you know, just prepare preparing things you know you're talking about you know checking you know stands doing some initial you know late season i'm scouting you know without trying to pressure properties too much you know just so many things that go into it and i tell you just get you know you get to that time of year where you're like you know you're ready to be done with those 90 degree temperatures you're ready for those temps to start falling a little bit here in the next month month and a half and hopefully we can start you know getting more in that mood of things you know it it's hard you know i know here in delaware it's tough because the season opens september 1st and when it's sometimes it's still 
90 degrees September 1st, you know, so you're, you're thinking, man, it's kind of hard to be in the deer hunt mood when, when it's, when it's 90 degrees, but I tell you, usually right around, you know, the labor day, even if it's 90 degrees, you know, you get out there for a late evening hunt, at least the last couple hours, get out there and enjoy it. And, you know, it just feels good. Even if you've got to be out there in, in a short sleeve shirt and some, maybe some camo, you know, leafy gear, you yeah. know, you do whatever you have to do to get out there and enjoy it. And I tell you, I'm just, I'm chomping at the bit to get out there and do it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm right there with you, man. I, I, um, my hunting plans actually have kind of changed a little bit more than, mm. more than that effect. Just, uh, our trip, you know, the yeah. last couple of years I've hunted that early muzzleloader season in Iowa and yes. last year was perfect. I had the whole week off for that mm-hmm. season from work. Um, it was a fall break and I was looking at, uh, the the season dates they've been released Mm -hmm. for iowa now hunting season dates and that week that um early muzzleloader was last year got pushed back a week for this year and so i'm not going to hunt the early muzzleloader season which is okay because yeah i've enjoyed hunting the late muzzleloader season Mm -hmm. with a buck tag in my in my pocket yeah and so, um, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to either do that again, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which I haven't done for a few years, okay. or I'm going to hunt one of the regular gun seasons, which I have not done since, uh, December of 17. I have not hunted wow. a regular, okay. I have, because that the way that muzzleloader early muzzleloader tag is it disqualifies you um from from getting one of those so uh i'm definitely going to hunt one of the gun seasons i just Uh don't know if i'm going to do it with um an antlerless tag or if i'm going to do it with if i'm going to use my gun buck tag on that and then of course um, i'm just like rip roaring to get my bow out there this year you know yes i've been practicing um Nice. I, I, I need to post this picture. I, if you follow me on Go Wild, you saw it, hopefully. Uh, I had this mm-hmm. really nice group the other night. I was just – usually, like, my first – which is something I think I'm going to – I think I'm going to take a, um, a bag with me when I go archery mm-hmm. hunting. And yep, right when I yep. get out of my truck and pull yes. my bow out, I think I'm going to th- yes. throw some of my, uh, my field tips at yep. – at uh, yep. that bag just to get warmed up yep. mm-hmm. um because usually like between i usually shoot see my quiver holds four arrows so i usually shoot four rounds of four right now just like a you know a 30 minute session nothing yep. crazy i think once you start like really pushing yourself to that almost like weightlifting type thing where yes. Yes. you're just drawing over and over again you can kind of start tanking your form a little bit yeah so for sure i'm trying to work on my accurate you know my accuracy to really get it tight but i think it was my fourth or f- i might have even done five sets the other night yeah. and man i was i almost had my first robin hood like it wow. was it was one of those really noisy like yes the shafts of those arrows were touching the entire time you know it was mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. so i was i was i was dialed in but nice but um the the reality is you shouldn't really shoot 
tight groups like that when you're target price because it's hard on your arrows but yeah. i just can't help it i mean for for the yeah. instagram pictures you know everyone wants to see those tight <laughs> groups so well you know what and what you just said there Kent, is is a great truly is a great tip uh i i think wonderful tip that you just said when you get to your hunting spot having a bag in the back of your truck i mean to, that last check-in to be able to just make sure it gives you that last bit of confidence yeah. because you know what you, you're driving things can get bumped you know different things when you when you take a couple shots right just before you're about to walk to your spot you're just you know in your mind and so much of this as we've talked about is a mind thing you know your mm-hmm. confidence being prepared you know not playing the emotional game all of those things what that does is it helps you to to set yourself because you know what hey maybe you take a shot and oh my goodness i'm shooting low into the right what what is going on right now okay let me take a few more shots maybe that was maybe that was just you know man i i, I pulled off i pulled off too quick or whatever yeah. you know it really helps you because then as you set you 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 have that full confidence and you kind of you know helps you remember okay my yardage is 20 yards is right. 30 yards is what you know remind you of what your confident range is so you can then make sure that you're prepared to not make that emotional mistake of stretching yourself so i think what you said right there was just a great super great tip for those archery hunters out there as they start to venture out early season yeah yeah i you know i actually saw once watching another hunting channel Mm-hmm. where one of the guys will actually take one of his field point practice arrows with him to his stand mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he'll find, you know, he'll identify like a leaf on the ground or something. Mm-hmm. And he'll, from his stand then, fling an arrow just to make sure that he's feeling comfortable shooting from his stand. And, yeah, you know, I hopefully... You won't need all four arrows when you're <laughs> when you're hunting. Uh, so right. you know, as you get, or maybe you have a five arrow quiver or something, or you have another mm-hmm. way to take mm-hmm. an arrow, extra arrow with you. But yep. I thought you know that's not a bad idea, to, especially for a new yeah. a new bow hunter to to yep. bring along with them and and uh, just mm-hmm. have that little bit of because, like you said, confidence is key. You know, I yes. I was listening to another hunting podcast the other day and. Mm-hmm. And uh, that guy said, you know, he's like, deer hunting is so much a mental game. You know, you hear about guys yes. getting target panic. You hear about, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. we've, we've talked about some of our failures. And sometimes you just flat out miss. And after you yeah. m- miss once, those things, mm-hmm. if you can't get your head right, they can kind of start, you know, piling up on you and, and hurting your, sure. your confidence, you know. And so... Mm-hmm. We all we all look forward to the season, but doing that practice now and and trying to to build that confidence and and pulling the trigger, you know yes. that's that's something that's well worth the effort to to uh, get it down. So yeah, no, I I totally agree, and and not that we want to go on about you know a ton of tips, but I mean I think I think as you know we're in that time where you know you're gonna start practicing, and I think I think it makes a lot of sense to practice and get dialed in, but I think you know as we get closer to the season, I think there's a lot of value in practicing realistic shots too. You know, don't be afraid. You know, maybe you've got a setup in your backyard where you know you can put up a little you know a, a ladder stand, you know, and yeah. practice 
um, those angle shots. You know, don't be afraid to, you know, don't don't just have the decoy, you know, straight broadside. You know, right. uh, uh, quartering away shots are great shots um, for, for deer. You know, so, so don't be afraid to turn that decoy a little bit and give yourself a quartering away shot. You know, we always, of course, are going to, you know, say, you know, don't take a bad shot. You know, never take a bad shot. But, you know, many times you're going to get a deer quartering away, and that's a different angle. It's, it's, a, it's a good angle, a slightly quartering away angle is a good angle but you're going to have to shoot a little differently so you know don't be afraid to change that setup up a little bit you know i know in in my backyard i i have woods behind me and so i'm able to set up a decoy in the woods and not that you're trying to shoot through brush but you know what that's a lot more realistic than it than it would be you know shooting in an open yard so i think it's good to you know like you said really get you know you know really in the zone you feel very confident and then as you start getting closer to the season really spend that time because it takes a little bit more time getting up in a stand or or you know getting a setup you know like that once you really are to the point of, of feeling confident and really zeroed in start taking those real you know practical shots that are really going to help you get prepared, truly prepared for the real life moment when you're actually out there in the stand. Yeah, for sure. Great, great tips. Great tips. Well, we could, we could do this forever, but um, (laughs) we have to pretend that we're about ready to go into our interview now. Yes. I'm telling you guys, when Brandon and I got off the phone, we were like, wow, that was awesome. We we were, we were figuratively high-fiving. There is no question. That's right. That's right. Yeah. This is, this is a guy who is truly passionate about the outdoors Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. so much so that he brings all kinds of other people into the outdoors as well, both through his work as an author and just, Hey, I know you, I know you don't hunt. Would you like to hunt? I will Mm. take you. You know, mm. that just, just, wow. uh, a living real, it. He's living it. Yep, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. Mm-hmm. So that's what, you know, that's, that's what first gen hunter is all about. And, yes. and, um, it, it was just a really cool interview to have to see somebody else who's, who's, uh, got a, a very similar personal mission really to, mm-hmm. to help bring other people into the outdoors so uh without any further ado we'll allow you to enjoy the upcoming interview in just a few minutes here with mm-hmm. outdoor children's author mr kevin lovegreen uh, kevin lovegreen is a uh uh, he's a public speaker. He goes around and travels to schools and kind of presents his books to uh, to uh, the schools, as you can see on his w- website. You can find this information. But he also, uh, of course, his biggest work there are his Lucky Luke book series that he has mm-hmm. he has put together, which is a tremendous resource for anyone who uh, has young kids in their life. So aunts, uncles grandparents parents whoever whoever has kids in their life that they care about want want to see them get into reading a little bit more want to see them get into the outdoors a little bit more you got to check out these books so so um without any any further delay here of me and brandon flapping our gums forever uh (laughs) let's turn it over the interview with mr kevin lovegreen I know, I know, I know, I did it again. You're waiting for this interview to happen that I promise, and boom, 
kind of like a commercial break but it's your tip of the day and I hope you're finding these tip of the days to be very useful and therefore a welcome interruption anyways last week I was siding in my muzzleloader and my slug gun with my good friend and hunting mentor Kevin not the same Kevin in this interview a different Kevin as always we were short on time and when we started working on sighting in my slug gun we started firing the shots without waiting long enough for the heat to dissipate from the gun's barrel it was a hot day middle of July and I fired nine three-inch shells that's a lot of heat generated by that big powder load in those shells these are 20 gauge shells we're talking here by the end both of us were frustrated with how poorly we were hitting the target. We were shooting from a rest and we would adjust the scope between each shot, but we just really seemed to be missing our mark in the same exact place over and over. In the end, we ran out of shells before we fixed our problem. We were left frustrated and annoyed over the unsolved problem. So of course, we could tell the barrel was hot but we didn't think much of it. Later that evening, Kevin sent me an article explaining how hot barrels can really mess with your accuracy. So, the tip of the day is to make sure you have plenty of time available when you are sighting in. That way you can give plenty of cooling time between every couple shots with the action opened up and allowing the heat to leave the barrel as quickly as possible. I also recommend waiting for cooler weather so that way you can fine-tune your sights for the hunting season. There was not much fine-tuning going on this day. Kevin and I unwisely chose the middle of July to do our sighting in, so the cooler surrounding air, it had we waited for, oh, I don't know, late September, early October or something, the cooler air would have allowed that heat to dissipate much more quickly just based on the laws of thermodynamics. So... Do some target practice this summer for sure, but maintain a cool barrel and wait to fine-tune your scope until conditions are most appropriate. Now, on to our interview with avid hunter and outdoor author, Mr. Kevin Lovegreen. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for all the listens. I, I love seeing that, those downloads on the podcast. Makes me feel like uh, somebody's actually liking what I have to say, which is a first. You know, I'm a, I'm a high school <laughs> science teacher, and, uh, you know, I get a lot of that uh, Bueller, 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 uh, like stare off into glazed over space type, type of uh, reaction from most people I talk to. So it's been great hearing from you all. And uh, your faithfulness is about to be rewarded, not just because you get to hear from Brandon again, but because tonight we have a special guest all the way from the, not currently frozen, but typically frozen north, uh, author, out, I should say outdoor children's author, Mr. Kevin Lovegreen. Kevin, thanks for being Hello here tonight. There. Thank you for having me. It's uh, great to be here. 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, Brandon here, he's he's my co-host. He's uh, representing the Hunt Fish Life, which is uh, another uh, outdoor media kind of channel, more of a platform for hunters and anglers to uh, share their grip and grin photos and, and uh, stories from the field and out on the lake. And so uh, Brandon's calling all the way in he's calling in all the way from delaware tonight so we have two guys from the midwest and somebody from the far east mm-hmm. i like that far east <laughs> <laughs> oh man most I'm, I'm i'm i count myself blessed if most people know that delaware is a state so i mean hey i, I the far east makes it sound like really good so i like that <laughs> <laughs> You get get some kind of recognition there, right? Right, exactly. Well, Kevin, uh, today I, I already owe you big time for coming on the show. This is this is great, uh, really, really uh, generous of you. But um, I was doing some reading today, and uh, I've been kind of going back and forth uh, through email with one of the state wildlife biologists here in Iowa. Uh, after I uh, uh, saw a jackrabbit. Um, in Iowa, which is a, a pretty rare thing to see, and and the state asked that you uh, report those sightings, and kind of just struck up an, this really awesome conversation with the guy, super knowledgeable guy, and he recommended this book to me. Uh, it's a historical, um, really kind of a, uh, it's based on journal entries, and, and I guess maybe you could say, uh, you know, popular popular stories that had circulated in communities long ago, but basically a historical look at wildlife in the state of Iowa. And the reason I owe a big thanks to you is that early Iowans wiped deer off the map in Iowa. You know, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't this like super wasteful thing. I mean, people were eating these deer and everything. They were surviving through the winter when, when they were first settling land, but wiped them out and if it wasn't for minnesota i wouldn't get to do my most favorite thing which is deer hunt here in in iowa because minnesota donated some of their their deer uh to repopulate the iowa deer herd so i really owe you man i did not know that but uh that's fantastic i'm uh, glad we could help iowa out (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, you know, we I, I've talked before with Brandon that, that Iowans, we like to be prideful about our deer herd and call ourselves the whitetail state, but after reading that, I don't know that we can uh, we can throw that around anymore. We, we have uh, Minnesota and Nebraska and I think maybe even Wisconsin to thank for that, so... So, uh, pretty pretty cool story, Iowa, though. I think Iowa might have some of the biggest deer, though. I, I watch uh, Lee and Tiffany a lot. I know they live in Iowa, and I'll tell you what, it's uh, it's amazing to see some of the giant deer in Iowa. It's fun. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, hey, if um, uh, you ever want to put in for one of those much-coveted Iowa non-resident tags, let me know, and uh, I owe you one, so... Or actually two now, I guess. So <laughs> <laughs> I might take you up on that. That could be fun. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, uh, let's go ahead and just dive into um, uh, really the reason that that uh, I came across Kevin and was was drawn to his work, and that's because, as I mentioned earlier, y- you are a children's author, but you go at it in an angle that 
quite honestly, I have not seen anyone else do um, it ever, really, until I came across your Lucky Luke series. And that's writing outdoors-themed books for, really, I guess we could say early childhood readers. So kind of that elementary school age. But then also you do have chapter books for... Um, middle schoolers and and late elementary probably some uh some of you know ahead of their age group readers in that in that class but really addressing a topic that a lot of um a lot of other authors haven't really touched on for that age group so um just in in reading that series uh i've already uh picked up uh, the copy of the swamp and uh my son Jonas, he's he's three and he just loves that book. My my daughter Margot, she's only about fifteen months old, sixteen months old now, and uh, actually she'll be sixteen months tomorrow. She uh, doesn't quite go get what's going on, but she's uh, she's drawn to the artwork. So, mm-hmm. uh, just just phenomenal books, Kevin. Thank you very much. Yeah, um, through some of the the background information I've gathered. Uh, it seems that your own children are kind of the inspiration for the star characters in the books. Is that correct? Well, here's how the story goes. It's kind of a funny deal. So my son, uh, Luke, is 20 years old now, and that is definitely okay. where the name came from, Lucky Luke's Hunting Adventures. My daughter, Crystal, is 23 and loves uh, deer hunting. Hmm. So they definitely inspired it, but... When I go sure. to schools, I explain to the kids that I am Lucky Luke in most of the stories. They're my adventures. Oh. And I write it in kind of my son's eyes, but I kind of write it in my eyes. So Lucky Luke is a unique character, but it's usually me on the adventure. And uh, when Lucky Luke was uh, 10 years old, I took him on his first turkey hunt, and we had a magical experience. He got a giant turkey. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh, that's man. what caused me to write Winter, Winter, Turkey Dinner, and Turkey Tales. Sure. So those were his adventures. But, yeah, all the rest of them are basically mine, things that happened to me over my life. And I write it as Lucky Luke and Dad going on the adventure for the most part. That, that is cool. really cool. You know, mm-hmm. one of the things, and I guess it's just through reading through the years, I, I I haven't, like, targeted books that do this. But one of the things that I've noticed that really good novelists do is they kind of mask the era in which their stories take place. So, um, and even even uh, movie uh, movie writers and, and directors and producers, they'll they'll uh, kind of do the same thing where you you can't quite put your finger on, you know, is this is this supposed to be on pace with what's going on right now, or is this supposed to be thirty years ago, fifty years ago? And I like it when authors do that because it does kind of add some of that extra, uh, I don't know, maybe uh, mystery to the story or, or something that kind of draws you in and keeps you guessing. Um, uh, but I think it also creates this really strong sense of nostalgia. And I guess the example I think of with that is kind of the cabin scene in this the swamp book um just uh sitting around listening to the radio um everyone's kind of passing around their their uh rattling antlers and their their uh buck or 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 
yeah, their buck lure, the doe estrus, and and yeah. all that kind of thing. It, there's no mention of cell phones, <laughs> which you uh-huh, know right? that, that that's that's how pretty much all that scouting's done now. But but um, I really appreciate that. That makes that makes sense now that you mentioned that it's told from both your your son's point of view and your daughter's point of view, uh, but also your own childhood. So that, I, I yeah, think that's I've had really a neat. Really. Uh, I've had a lot of fun writing Crystal into the stories. Now, in the swamp, ironically, you're bringing that story up. But what I do is I try to keep it very close to what really happened in the stories. <clears throat> but I like to tell the kids they're fiction, so I, I got to make some twists in there also to make sure it's entertaining enough. Right. <laughs> but in the swamp, you'll notice that uh, there happens to be a girl that's a hero at the end. Yep. And I hate usually giving the books away, but that's not the, the way the real story was. My friend's aunt shot the giant buck and it truly was huh. it was a 22 point buck oh wow in the book i write it as a 20 pointer because my illustrator could not put 20 points in this buck every time i asked him he just couldn't <laughs> do it so i had to change it but i wrote the original story that way my editor came back and said you can't make somebody who's not part of the story the hero so i actually went back and added crystal into the story oh. and i made her go through the story and then and that was a i did that and it ended up being really fun because I can't believe how many girls now enjoy reading the stories also. Cause I throw That's crystal awesome. into a lot of the stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's, you know, as a, as a dad who, who loves deer hunting and being outside and, and you know, of course my son's my oldest and, and I've already introduced him to some of the fishing side of things and stuff. But with my uh, daughter, you know, I look forward to that, realization when she read when she's able to read that book on her own or at least understand it when when i read it to her and and see that yeah you know hunting a lot of times we we uh kind of tie it all up in testosterone and grunting and uh not showering up at the deer camp for a week and but really it's it's something that we want to appeal to to all people you know that there's um really a need to diversify the outdoors i think from a from a who's participating standpoint and so i think that was really an excellent way to to uh encourage that with your book so i I really appreciated that yeah no it's it's when you can introduce girls at a young age and i did that with crystal we had her out in the woods very young man her in my backpack when she was two years old (laughs) walk around cutting shooting lanes and stuff but she didn't know anything else, you know. So when I took her out, she was just ignoring, you know, loving the outdoors. And when a deer would walk up, we'd be quiet, and she just had fun with it. Now, she mm. did not take into hunting like Luke did. Luke loves all hunting. He loves it from bear to deer to turkeys <laughs> to you name it. Crystal mm. loves deer hunting, and that's really it. Mm. But as mm-hmm. long as she enjoys mm-hmm. that, I was excited to get her out in the woods. And there is just something to really start the kids out when they're younger, letting them realize that it's okay to be in the woods and have some fun. And usually mm. the key too for the young kids is not push it too long because, uh, yeah, I've heard it once too many times. Okay. Are we done yet? I'm like oh, a, couple more, a little bit <laughs> yeah. longer. Yeah. So, but Kevin, you tend Kevin, to need to uh, make the hunts a little shorter for the kids. Yeah. 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 When, and one of the things that we've talked about a little bit, you know, as you know, growing up, you know, if you, maybe if you grew up, deer hunting or maybe you got into it when you're older and then you have kids you know you think that when you're making those memories you know for myself i grew up hunting and and you know wow when you're 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 making those memories as a young one you know you think this is the best thing ever but then when you become a father and you start seeing those memories being made in your kids that becomes 
so much so much better you know you you thought wow making memories myself was amazing but then when you see them being made in your children it becomes just so much so much better you do you reflect the same on that as well yeah i would say for sure and i i look back at some of the hunts and i'll tell you what that some of the highlights you know the deer didn't always show up but i'll mm-hmm. tell you what a piece of candy always came out of my backpack and you know there was <laughs> whatever i could do to make the highlight, you know, so the kids were at least having fun out there because I didn't yes. want them to get bored. And this was before yeah. cell phones, so they weren't on their yes. phones. And, you know, you're trying to keep keep entertained. I remember one time with Luke, we were on the ground, and he was getting bored. And I finally look over, and I, I found a, oh, there's a, a weed growing that has a little, I don't know, but a, looks about the size of a golf ball. Uh, and I knew that inside each one of those, there's a worm. And I don't know why somebody taught me that years ago. <laughs> so I pulled one out, we cracked it open, and there's a little white worm inside. And he went, what? <laughs> Well, also, I'm like, hey, let's look for another one. I'm like, anything I can do to keep them out a little bit longer. Yes. And so yes. it wasn't, it definitely wasn't all about the hunt. It was all about mm. the experience and mm. making sure the kids were having fun. Well, that's pretty amazing that you mention it like that because, you know, we've talked several times about, you know, success is not just, of course, in harvesting an animal. You know, it's many times in those smaller things, particularly in memories made. And it's amazing how sometimes those, those very odd situations or different things will stick out in your memory even years later as some of the the very favorite times that you had. You know, it's pretty neat. Yep, absolutely. And I, I even remember a time when my, I took my daughter out. We got in the deer stand. Literally in about five minutes, a six-point buck walked by. And it was a pretty decent buck, but we were kind of looking for bigger deer. Mm-hmm. So I let the deer go. It stood there for a while. She got to watch it. It went away. She looked at me and went, why did you not shoot that deer? She was so mad at me. I'm like, I thought it'd be better to let the deer maybe grow in a little bit bigger. That deer was perfect to shoot. She was so mad at me for not shooting that deer. Oh, man. But, so there's, you never know what you're going to get in the deer stand with the kids. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's good stuff. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that kind of takes me to um, the next question I had for you. And, and this is kind of where I want to, I guess, maybe transition into your purpose as an author. Uh, and and why you chose to write write this genre and and really kind of see if there's you know some some deeper inspiration here and really that stems from from this this question here do do you kind of see a need for uh i guess the youngest of our of our gen- generations right now uh, needing to to be exposed to the outdoors, do you, do you think that that's really an important thing that that um, we need to kind of address as a society? And um, does that kind of serve as some of your your motivation be, behind uh, writing the Lucky Luke series? Well, it is now, but I will tell you at the beginning. I simply needed something to do after selling a business nine years ago, and somebody challenged me to write this first book. So I wrote The Swamp, and then it started getting exciting, so I started writing more books. Mm-hmm. But then what happened was the theme in the last, even just the last couple of years, and I've been doing this for nine, but it just gets more and more that I keep hearing from parents and teachers that reluctant readers are finally picking up these books. Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand that was that big of a deal until I get emails and emails and emails and people respond and going, my kid never picked up a book before. Finally, it's happening. And I wow. quickly realized that I have a responsibility, I believe now, that I created something. It was a fluke because I just did it because I was having fun writing it. Sure. But yeah. I realized now that it really is getting reluctant reader, especially boys, to read. So I've, yes, now I take it as, as a, it's a passion of mine to make sure I can write another fun book 
And as long as the kid's going to pick that up and read it, man, that's important because everything, I mean, 80, 90% of what kids are reading these days is on their phones. Right. Mm -hmm. And they're getting so inundated with computer games and phones that I think it's really important to be able to put a book in their hand and a story Mm. in their mind, really, to be able to read that. And, of course, then what that ended up doing, and, again, I just wrote my stories because that's what I enjoy doing. I've had so many responses to the kids saying, oh, my goodness, my grandpa took me out hunting for the first time. And I'll look at these, you know, second-grade girl going, really? Yeah, I read your book, and I thought it would be so much fun. And my grandpa said he would take me. I'm like, oh, my oh, wow. So nice. Those are the things that just make it so much fun. So, number one, mm. when I go into schools, I explain to the kids how important reading is because it is. And they, they you know, a lot of us, when we were younger, when I, did, when I was younger, I did not enjoy reading that much. Mm-hmm. And I never had books like this. I'll tell you what, I think if I did, I would have enjoyed it a little bit more. But <laughs> it's just to explain to the kids that reading is so important because that's how they get smarter is by mm, reading more. And it yep. doesn't have to be outdoor books, but if that's what starts them, fantastic. Yeah. So really that's yeah. what it is. And then the outdoor, I'll tell you, we're uh, in Minnesota here also. I know it's happening everywhere. It's really uh, declining the amount mm. of youth that are getting mm. in our woods. Yeah. And when yeah. I go traveling around to schools and I get to the outskirts of Minnesota and I've been in Idaho and different spots and those kids that are really in the outdoors, they seem to be thriving in school better even. So yeah. it's, I think it's really important to try to get our kids to realize that there's a, there's a connection and people have done a lot of research on it that the outdoors really makes healthier kids too. Mm, yeah. So I think all of it's important to get the kids outdoors and try to get their minds off of the computers and mm, off of their yep. phones and get them to realize that nature is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and Kevin, do you like, in terms of your background, was that, was like, how did the whole writing thing come? You, you mentioned that you were, you know, challenged to, to write a, a book. Was it just kind of, did you have a background in that at all? Or, or what was the story behind that? All I can tell you is that if I pulled this off, anybody can pull anything off because <laughs> my college buddies, my college buddies didn't believe I could write a sentence, let alone a book. Let me tell you. I mean, it's no, I, I was in metal fabrication growing up. We had a family business. I was always on the office side. Writing was never, I could tell stories and I did a mm. lot and I kept mm-hmm. a journal and that's what kind of sparked us also. So I was 12 years old. Mm-hmm. I kept a journal of all my hunting and fishing stuff. Nice. But that was the extent of my writing. Wow. That was yeah. cool. No, That's when really I cool. when I sold my business, I needed something to do, and I had a life coach challenge me, and the life coach asked me, what do I have or do that's different than anybody else? Mm. And the only thing I could come up with that day was my journal. I said, I got all these mm. stories in it. And yeah. she said, huh, I don't think anybody else has one of those. Go figure it out. And <laughs> wow. a friend of mine introduced me to her mom who wrote children's books, and when she heard about my story, she looked at me and said, why don't you go and try to write one book? You have nothing better to do right now. And I uh, couldn't turn her down, so I went and wrote The Swamp, and now I'm, you know, now what I'm trying to finish, I think I've got number 13 just about done, and 14, and they just keep going. Wow. <laughs> wow. wow. What a cool story. <laughs> yeah, that is. Yeah, it's fun. It's, uh, but it, it really does go to show, and again, I love talking to kids about it. I mentor some seniors in high school also, and the importance of the story is when you find something you're passionate about, and you don't know yeah. when this is going to happen. It might happen yeah. for me. It happened when I was 41 years old. It might happen to some of you when they're 20, but maybe when they're 60. The key is find that thing because when you find it, it's so much more fun and enjoyable going through this life with something that you're passionate about. Wow. And also, I know kids yeah. look at me and they go, come on. But I'm like, no, it's true. You know, I enjoyed what I did for 19 years running a metal fab shop, but yeah, I really enjoy what I'm doing now. I mean, this is a lot more fun. Yeah, that's yeah. very well said. Yep, yep. 
Well, well and, and one of the things I was going to say, you know, one of the things that's amazing about what you're saying too is the the you know we we talk about this the brotherhood and the sisterhood and the enjoyment whether it's with your family or whether it's you know we we talk about the the first gen hunter and and how can we get more people into hunting and and the outdoors and things like that and how um enjoying it together amplifies the experience you know and so you know these kids you know kind of getting that initial interest in you know through these books and these different things and then hopefully people taking an interest in them you know whether it's a, a family member that's into it or maybe someone else who you maybe not a family member but willing to take the time to invest in someone is so important so you know cool to see all of those things kind of converge and come together and hopefully make for someone who can end up having you know a lifetime of memories and enjoyment through the outdoors absolutely yep it's really important to find people that are willing to take kids out what I try to do in Minnesota, I'm really lucky that uh, springtime turkey hunting, there's not much else going on, mm. and none of our neighbors hunt. So where we go, I've asked all the neighbors now and say, I'm bringing up some dads and kids. Can I you know, bring them on your property? They say, shoot all the turkeys. We don't care. The farmer for sure doesn't want them on his property. So <laughs> yeah, I've yeah. got about two, probably 3,000 acres that I can wander wow. around, and that's wow. been a really fun way for me to get a dad and a kid involved. Mm. and and get them out there and and teach them because boy i'll tell you and again springtime usually the weather is nice yeah if the turkeys are gobbling it's magical and if they get lucky enough to get a bird well then they're really hooked but there's a lot of fun things as far as getting kids involved in turkey hunting i've really been having fun with that that is awesome very cool that's 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 what we're all about here at first gen hunter is is helping people i I like how you said it get hooked on hunting you know Mm -hmm. just that the and and we've talked before, Brandon and I have that success isn't even always just um, ha- having that you know having that hunt complete with a harvest. You know, sometimes it's just learning that you can have fun, like we've been talking about, away from uh, the computer screen or the cell phone screen or the TV screen, and uh, you, you know. In, in a big sense, you know, of course, you got to pay for your hunting license and tags, but virtually free <laughs> and yeah. uh, the highest level of enjoyment, really, when when we uh, look at the, the fun times we have out in the great outdoors. So, yeah, that's... Yeah, and most of the time we end up, even if you don't, I don't know whether it's deer hunting, elk hunting, turkey hunting, you bring somebody out in the woods, there's almost always something that happens when you're out there that they go, Oh wow, that was cool. Whether it's a woodchucker yes. that lands on the tree next to him, whether yes. you stumble upon a porcupine in a tree and they get to see it, you know, for a little bit, but there's seems to be always something that makes them go, wow, that was cool. And that's a yeah. lot of it also. I mean, not just about getting that animal that we're after. Well, and I love, I love what you just mentioned there. And I think it's important. We talk about the screen time and all these things and, you know, we're made to be people that, that should have interaction with other people. And, you know, mm-hmm. technology helps, but it's, it's interesting that with all the technology, nothing can replace a, a real friendship or, or camaraderie of going out. And it, it, it doesn't have to be in the outdoors. It can be anything. But that relationship, the, the developing of relationships and actually being with people is so important. And so to just be able to connect like that, I love what you just said. You know, pretty much anytime you're out, out in the outdoors, something is going to happen that's pretty cool. And, and, and it's just cool to be able to share that with someone, not through, you know, a, a Skype call, not through Zoom, but, you know, actually in person and being able to build those relationships. And that's ultimately what it's all about. Yes, absolutely. And it's fun that 
those of us that are lucky enough to get out there and do different different activities, we tend to anticipate some of the things that might happen. So you're mm. kind of looking for it. You know, <laughs> yes. so that's kind of fun. If, you know, in the morning, turkey hunting, I, I, we usually have a bunch of owls that hoot. So I'm kind of waiting for that owl and look at somebody <laughs> go, did you hear that? That's a, you know, that's a green horn owl out there. And they're like, wait a minute. That sounds like somebody was making that call. I'm like, no, that's really an owl. So, and then if you get to see one, you know, that's yeah. really a highlight. But yeah, 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 no, yeah it's fun. Great. And there is something, too, about the camaraderie of hunters. And I've done a lot. Yes. I've been really lucky to go all over the place doing a bunch of different hunts. It's yeah. rare that you find different other hunters that just aren't good people. There's something yeah. about hunting in the outdoors that you yeah. tend to run into some really good people they tend to really care about kids a lot, and mm. that makes it a lot of fun. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Well, you know, kind of along those lines with, with caring about kids, and we've kind of talked around it, but I don't know if we've specifically hit it on the head yet. You know, there are there are some parents that they haven't actually hunted before, so so this obviously then wouldn't be on their radar, but there are many parents who – who do hunt, you know, Brandon and I would fall into that category. And, and, uh, you did at, at one time yourself, Kevin, when you had young kids that weren't yet deciding who they were as a person. And, um, I'm sure you could, can, uh, remember how Brandon and I feel right now where we have kids who are getting close <laughs> to that age where we want them to want to join us in, mm-hmm. in the outdoors. And, um, I, I think you you made a really good point when you said you can't you said something to the fact you can't overdo it you know make them just endure that time in the outdoors and and uh, kind of burn them out I guess maybe um, but I think beyond just no you know trying to figure out that balance of well d- do I take them today or or do I give them a, a day off or um, do I need to just wait for them to ask to go, you know, beyond just the, the action of going or not going, whether it be fishing or hunting or whatever, I think parents kind of scratch their heads as to any other strategy that there can be to, to kind of influence their kids to, to want to try the outdoors. And I think your books are what make a lot of other of course, I haven't talked to him myself, but it certainly has had this effect on on, on me and and from you know uh, uh, just talking with other other friends that that want to have these ex- shared experience with their kids. I think your books really provide another uh, avenue for parents to encourage their kids to get into the outdoors. And uh, have have you had any feedback along those lines where where parents have mentioned that that's helped in the past? Oh, absolutely. I get uh, plenty of parents that'll say, thank you. You know, my, my son or daughter was reading the book. They got so excited. Well, this is kind of funny. I heard a lot about the kids. They got so excited about the, the you know, uh, fish on and catching that big bass or, mm-hmm. or muddy elk and want to go out and see an elk that they really, really want to go out and do that. But I also have a lot of parents that go, you know what? I never thought about hunting really until I read your book with my kids. And now nice. I want to go do it. That is, that is amazing. amazing. Yeah, and I just shake my head going, wow, that's so humbling and fun to hear. It's like, how does this happen? But, no, there's no question that you try to make it exciting. And my adventures, I, I believe they all happen for a reason, just so I could write the books. But 
I've been, every time I go out and do these adventures, something magical happens, something out of the ordinary. Mm-hmm. My, my, my line that I tell everybody, you can't make it up. I'll come back and say, yeah, can't make it up. You won't believe what happened to me in the muddy elk. You know, I'm out there hunting and this elk walks up two feet away from me, standing there looking at me like, how is this happening? Well, I think it all happens so I can write these books. So I do mm. believe that the extra excitement causes the kids to go, wow, I want to go try this. Yeah. And if yeah. that happens, that's pretty darn cool. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, what you just what you just mentioned is actually really interesting because what we talk about is, man, how do you get more hunters into the into that world? You know, how do you how do you and you you mentioned it, you know, there's decreasing numbers of hunters and you know, some interesting facets to that. But what you just mentioned was pretty cool because normally we think, okay, if we can get generations into hunting, they're going to kind of reproduce as, as they have kids, they're going to reproduce that love, but you kind of coming in from a reverse perspective, you know, if I wasn't a hunter as a father, uh, as a man myself, and I was in other things, but my kids started reading your books or something and they had an interest in it, it could really build my interest. Like, man, I want to, you know, I want to do something that's meaningful with my kids. You know what? Maybe that's something I need to get into. So it's kind of interesting how, you know, the kids reading these books can almost work in a reverse way where it kind of goes back up the chain to their, their mom, their dad, their grandparents. You know what? Maybe this is something we need to do as a family. So that's really cool that you've seen that type of feedback to kind of go the reverse way from the typical. That's pretty neat. Yeah, no, it's fun. I, I don't know about your States, but in Minnesota, what happened a few years ago, there was a big push to try to get kids involved in outdoors. So they were trying to do camps and all kinds of different stuff. And all of a sudden they had a big brainstorming session and somebody looked at them and said, I think you guys are doing this wrong. I think you need to attack the parents yeah. and get new parents involved in hunting. So they bring their kids along mm. and, and Minnesota, mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me, has now changed that. And they've got some great information on their website to show new hunters, parents, where they can go to go hunting, how they can do the stuff. And there's some great resources out there for those new parents that are saying, okay, I don't have any idea how to do this. They're trying to open up, you know, more and more state land for it. So we got more places mm, to go, but that's mm-hmm. cool. it's, uh, it's definitely a new push that they're trying. And I, I hope it takes hold because, uh, I think it makes some sense that if you get, you know, a 35, 40 year old person involved mm-hmm. and they've got a little bit of money so they can go out and actually do it. And then they bring their kids along. It's just, uh, mm. I think it's a good way to make it all happen. Yes. Yeah. Well said. Yep. Spot on. Well, um, I, I think we've hit a lot of the most important things that I, I'd hoped to cover here. We talked about the, the really encouragement that your books provide for, for getting families outside and, and kids, you know, wanting to adopt that outdoor lifestyle for the, themselves. And, and also, um, you mentioned too, the, the way your books have helped all as a teacher here, I'll, I'll even say, um, have helped teachers um, with encouraging reluctant learners. I, I was definitely uh, a reluctant, classic reluctant learner when I was a kid. In fact, my dad, who's a um, a uh, school administrator, he uh, was gr- greatly bothered by the fact that I was such a reluctant learner. And so anytime <laughs> I would show any kind of interest in a book, you know, which would be something like, 
the classic sign of the beaver or something like that. He White would bang. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yep. Of course, you know, back then the, the internet search capabilities weren't near, near what they are now, but he would scour any way he could to find books that would interest me. And, and, uh, he had a really tough time doing it. And so, um, I know that if uh, the Lucky Luke series was around when when uh, I was a kid, that certainly would have appealed to me. And I'll mm. even uh, throw my uh, youngest brother, Jake, who the listeners have heard from before, in that same boat as me. We, he, he, I actually, when I when I came across your books, I. Uh, uh, copied the link down and I sent it into the the family group text and I said man where were these books when when uh I was a kid and, and my brother Jake was like man I'd be a, I'd be a great reader now if these existed when <laughs> when I was in school <laughs> and that's exactly right though that's exactly right it, that's something that I guess we could say trickles up all the way into your college years if you don't have that strong foundation as a reader and so mm-hmm. uh it's it's very evident that your books have not only benefited the outdoors community, um, but they've they've benefited all of our communities. I'm sure uh, by by helping educate uh, the next generations. So uh, we we really appreciate that. And while we're on that that topic here, before we transition into kind of your experiences as a outdoorsman, uh, where where can our listeners, if they're if they're uh, wanting to find the Lucky Luke books, where's the best place for them to track those down at? Yeah, KevinLoveGreen.com. And Lovegreen is just the way it sounds, L-O-V-E-G-R-E-E-N. And that is uh, the best spot to get them. I give uh, great deals on the sets of books, and yep. it gets a lot of traffic. So that would be uh, that'd be the spot to go. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. So kevinlovegreen.com and I'll go ahead and I'll put that link in the show notes if that sounds good to you, Kevin. And uh, that should help uh, direct listeners that way um, as well. Yeah, that'd be wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, let's let's talk about that next uh, that next really beyond just the book and maybe these experiences end up in books later on. We know that, um, like you mentioned, your journal entries uh, through the years from all your hunting and fishing experiences, they've certainly inspired them. What, what, what are some of your most memorable, um, I guess we'll, we'll start with hunting. If you have any like really major, uh, really cool fishing stories that you want to throw in there, that'd be great too. Um, but what what are some of your most memorable hunting experiences through the years? Oh boy, that is a, a live one there. I've got so many. <laughs> but, uh, you know, a lot of them, a lot of them tend to go back. I've been uh, do, probably the most, other than whitetail hunting in Minnesota, I've tried to go elk hunting almost every year for about the last twenty two years, something like that. Wow! And there's something magical about elk hunting. I I just when you get to hear bull elk bugling, mm. there's a couple of just mm. major cool times where I've gotten really close to bull elk screaming. And with an archer, I almost always hunt them with a, with a bull. Mm-hmm. And there's been so many times where I'll come back and I'll have a giant, beautiful bull elk 10 steps away from me, but I can't get a shot. But you get to listen to them and you watch them. And then they finally, when they if they smell you, oh, my goodness, they run out of there 100 miles an hour. So <laughs> I've got a couple just great encounters. That it, and it took me so long to get my first elk. The muddy elk is mm-hmm. the one. And seven years of trying to get close enough, and 
I would think those are some of my most magical moments. Sure. Mm. And then I had, uh, you know, another one that always sticks out is I did the Alberta mule deer hunting. Okay. And oh, I had wow. no idea really what to expect. And I mm. did it with a guide, and I don't typically do that, but out there, we that's what we were doing. And he t- took me out to this hill, and we're up on top early morning, and I'm looking. You can just see for miles of farmland. I'm like, what are we doing? And he's got these <laughs> huge spotting scopes. And he goes, just keep your eyes open. We're going to see him eventually. See what? He goes, oh, you know, you'll see. And all of a sudden, <laughs> like magic, about a half an hour into it, he goes, there they are. I knew they'd show up. And I put my binoculars <laughs> up, and I see six of the most beautiful, gigantic mule deer bucks walking through a wheat field, single file line, and I will never forget it. He goes, here, look to my scope. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. And you just feel like you're right there. But I will say those are some that was amazing. Just because I'd never seen it before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the mm-hmm. crazy part was, is you watch those deer go bed down and they scatter around in these different spots. And then he'll just watch the guy to watch and watch. And go, okay. I think we can get a chance at that one. And then we get in the car and you drive for like two miles and then we get out and you end up hiking <laughs> and belly crawling. And before you know it, you're within 30 yards of a bedded deer and you can see his antlers in the grass. And you're like, Oh my goodness. And I'd say that was some of the most exciting hunts I've done also. Man, I'm going to have to wow. know, but and, and boring also because although a couple times we'll have to sit there for like two hours before they finally stand up. Right. I'll tell yeah. about the times that I've missed after they stand up and the guy looks at me and says, really? After all that time? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but oh, I would say that. So elk hunting and I have had some magical moments, and it's always been with a screaming bull elk and, uh, and then mule deer. Just they're magical because in Minnesota, they just the mule deer in Alberta are just so much bigger than our whitetails that it's just, uh, they almost think they're elk to me. They're so big, and that's just really fun. That you have to belly crawl and get close to them, and I rode monster mule deer, and it's just a, it's a fun story about Lucky Luke trying to get the drop-time buck that we did see out there, and this old big buck just kept sneaking by us, and we could never get a shot at him. But oh, monster mule deer, Lucky Luke might have got lucky at the end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm a... I, oh I, my goodness! I'm a fool for those those uh, drop tine deer. I just oh man, I I know that. I guess technically, Boone and Crockett probably would give you some deductions for those non typicals, but man, they they're just so cool. That's I might have to book a trip to Alberta now. <laughs> uh, well, the cool part of Alberta is that if you want action, so what we do is you you uh, mule deer hunt in the morning. And then usually they bed down about noonish. They're pretty much done. You get your stock. Usually you get a stock, hopefully one or two. And then mm-hmm. if you don't get your deer, which you normally don't, because it's, it's tough archery hunting, then you right. come back. And then in the evening you get, you sit in deer stands and you can whitetail hunt. Oh, wow. It's just That's magical. Cool. I saw, oh, my goodness, some of these fields. You know, you'd see 100 whitetails coming out and some of the biggest bucks I ever saw in my life. Man. Never connected on one. They never got close enough. Wow. But it was action, and that was what was so, yeah, so cool. Right. We, we tended to have a lot going on, and I've only done it twice, but my buddy and I, who we both talk about it, that it's one of those hunts that we really want to go back and do it, and the last few years it's just gotten a little bit more expensive with the guide, so we were trying to figure out one day if we could figure out how to do it without a guide, and I don't even mm. know if Alberta you can or not, but uh, sure. it's a really fun way to hunt. Yeah, that Wow. Yeah, you got me sold on it, that's for sure. (laughs) Brandon and I were texting today. We're talking about we have some upcoming uh, hunting plans that we've yet to reveal to our uh, uh, listeners. But uh, Hunt Fish Life and First Gen Hunter are going to go on the road this this upcoming uh, hunting season, it sounds like. But we were talking about doing a a pheasant trip in uh, 2021. We might have to uh, 
rearrange those plans. I don't know. This Alberta stuff sounds pretty. Uh... <laughs> yeah, Alberta sounded real nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. Yeah. But I'll tell you, I laughed about the elk hunting thing last year. I probably had one of my coolest elk hunts ever. We did a drop camp where the they horseback you in about an hour and a half. I think we were on the horseback, and then they have their camp set up for us. We bring our own food in, and then they leave you. Mm-hmm. And we get up in the morning, and my cousin says, "Did you? could you guys even sleep listening to all the bugles? I'm like, what? I didn't hear a bugle. <laughs> so sure enough, walk out the tent, and all of a sudden, whammo, elk bugles literally 100 yards from the tent. I'm like, wow. oh, we've never had that happen. Wow. So we're pretty much scrambling to get our gear on, and then we hear bugling and bugling and bugling. We tiptoe out to a herd of about 150 animals right Man. out in front of our first field, and we didn't, we couldn't get a shot to do. They're all of a sudden they see us and they start scattering, oh. running around in circles, and they all heard it up. And I had <laughs> I I tried to call and I got the herd bull about ninety nine yards away is what I could laser him. That was the closest I got. And yeah. finally he just turned and took them all away. But that I'll tell you was probably one of the coolest things ever that happened. And and to be able to get wow. into them within the first you know thirty seconds of walking out of your tent that was pretty cool. Wow, man! Yeah, that now is... that's a spot for a drop camp. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> Really cool. Oh my goodness. Now, would you say that your, would you, would you say that your love for, for fishing kind of, you know, correlates well to hunting or would you say, you know, hunting's kind of, you know, your main thing or, you know, what would you reflect on related to fishing? That's interesting. So we grew up doing a lot of Canadian fishing trips where we would drive 12 hours up to Canada and we would, Mm -hmm. we would portage ourselves in. And it used to be some of the hardest work we ever did. All of us, my cousins, we'd, a good group of us would go and this lake that we went to all the time, we could catch hundreds of walleye. So the fishing mm. was fantastic. Oh, but mm-hmm. again, it was the adventure of it. That was so much fun also. Yes. So that the love for, and then my, my grandparents had cabins in Northern Minnesota. And I talk about those in both a lot of the books and for sure fish on, I used to do a bunch of bass fishing when I was a kid, all, all the way up, even in, into my twenties. Yes. I love bass fishing. And yes. oh my God, I feel like you're hunting. You're sneaking yes. around. I used to have yeah. a little John boat with an electric pulley mm. motor and I could just sneak mm-hmm. through the weeds. And yep. so, no, I, I thoroughly love fishing. I have, yeah. in the last, oh, 15 years or so, I've really learned to love fly fishing. And okay. my wife loves fly fishing. And so, my cousin, I'm lucky enough that my cousin, uh, a guide, and now runs a, 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 a spot out in Idaho. So my wife and I made it our annual trip for about eight years where we'd go out there just ourselves, leave the kids behind, and we'd go fly fishing for two, three days. And nice. so we thoroughly love that. So there's, That's I cool. like to do a little bit of everything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, there's nothing wrong with enjoying what the good Lord has given you, you know? That's great. That, that is exactly. awesome. Oh, yeah, my Yeah, goodness. the last book I wrote was Snake, uh, Snake River Challenge came out, and I what I did is I wrote it, you know, mom and dad taking Crystal and Lucky Luke on their first trip down the river. And I got my cousin as the guide. And he is just a, he's a super funny guy. And I had so much fun trying to bring his personality into the book. Yeah. And then the love for the fly fishing to try to teach the kids. It was kind of a cool adventure because the guys do a really good job of teaching anybody, but especially kids, how to cast and what they're looking sure. for and what's happening with the bugs. So it was a really neat book for me to write, trying to incorporate all these years of being out there watching these guides teach us. And to mm. do it, how would a kid want to see that? And then, yeah. oh, you know, the I, I started out by Lucky Luke missing a couple of fish, and he's fishing with Dad to start with. And Dad catches him, and he doesn't. And then Dad catches him, and he doesn't. And Lucky mm-hmm. Luke starts to get frustrated. And then he <laughs> finally gets his first trout. And it's uh, that was a really fun book to write because it's, yeah, the kids. And, yeah, it's just a lot of the kids that I, when I go to, I ask them about fly fishing, and they don't quite understand what fly fishing is all about. Most mm. people get it, what bass fishing sure. and spinning mm-hmm. for walleyes and things like that. But 
hopefully we can spark a few kids to uh, grab a fly rod and give that a try sometime too. Yes, man, yeah, that, that sure. was really cool. And it's it's neat how fishing can sometimes be that bridge too, because I, I feel like, you know, sometimes if maybe you're a parent um, and you're like, man, wow, how do I get into hunting? And, you know, you referenced you know, that some really helpful, you know, things that, that your state out there has to offer. And, and I think that's kind of on the increase, you know, as, as organizations are trying to get people into hunting, but fishing tends to be, I feel like that good bridge where even people who maybe don't necessarily know a lot, they feel like, you know what, I could, I could get into this. I could, you know, I can, I can go get some worms. I can, you know, I can, you know, try to catch some bluegill, some sunny something and try to start that process. So it's kind of neat how that I, I feel like many times becomes that bridge to start to really love the outdoors for kids. You know, you can take them out for a half hour, have them catch some bluegill, have a great time, and then head home. You know, it's kind of that great way to kind of initially introduce them to it. Was that was that kind of something that you did with your kids, or something you've seen over the years? Oh boy, my kids see they had no choice. Boy, when they were tiny, I had a <laughs> Snoopy rod in their hands, and we were out fishing. Yes. And, oh goodness, because again, we were so lucky. My grandparents' cabin, so we were there all the time, yeah. and yes. it was just really easy for me to walk down to the dock, and we had sunfish galore. So it was really yep. fun for the kids because they caught fish right away. Yeah, and so yes. I would say fishing was a really easy thing for me to get them excited about. And I mm-hmm. oh goodness, but you know, I always push it. I love telling the story. When Luke was, uh, oh my goodness, maybe three or four years old, he was little, and I still had a Snoopy rod, and I went over, and of course I had to cut the hook off, the little hook, and put a bigger hook on it, and a big bobber, and I threw a big sucker minnow on it, and I threw it <laughs> around the edge of the weeds where I know some big northerns are, and instantly, whew, the bobber went down, and he's fighting about a five-pound northern. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, the look on his face was priceless. I mean, I, oh, oh my yes. goodness, that was yes. uh, some fun times. As a dad, you never forget that look on on your child's face. That is awesome. <laughs> no, it's like what just happened, and I'm like, yeah, that's what fishing's all about. Heck with those sunfish. <laughs> yes, yeah. right. Exactly. But we're really lucky. I'll tell you one of the blessings now with this whole COVID thing in Minnesota. I don't know about you guys, but we've had an explosion for fishing. And so even boy, yeah. about three four weeks ago, we went to go fishing. They were out of leeches, and I looked at the guy. He goes, yeah. He goes, there's been more people coming fishing than we've ever seen before. Yeah. Well, that is one big blessing that's come out of this this crazy COVID thing that we're dealing with right now. So I'm wow. I'm hoping that's going to help uh, keep people's love for the or fish for fishing for sure continue yeah. going in the future. Well, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that because we we had spoken uh, in a, a previous episode about how there was a major article that came out in a publication recently about how on the hunting side of things, everything with COVID has started to give people an interest in man wow there's there's food shortages oh there's maybe not meat at the at the grocery store you know it it has spawned more of an interest in people getting into hunting so like you mentioned you know a positive that's coming out of it and hopefully that kind of continues forward with maybe seeing an increase in some numbers of people that are interested in it so you know where where there can be some negatives there's also some positives so pretty cool to see that Oh, that's for sure. Yep. Oh, I've had an awful lot of people ask me, so how much venison do you have in your freezer? And I'm like, well, not for me. <laughs> yep, yep. But it, it is funny. Yeah, we'll see if more people get out there and realize that it's, it's you know, fun to put some meat in your freezer. And, and yes. who would dream that there's going to be something like this would happen? But I, I would yes. hope they just realize that it's just really good for them and it's, uh, it's fun to have your own meat like that. Yes. Very well said. Love it. Yep. Yep. Well, kind of along those lines, and and really our purpose here at first gen hunter is again to to help new hunters and help them establish themselves within the hunting world as as we all know um 
hunting's not easy, right? <laughs> I mean, even, even the stories you, you talked about, um, there in Alberta where you had, you had plenty of animals to target, but if the animal doesn't choose to walk your way, it doesn't really matter. And so, uh, we, we try to help our, our listeners and, and followers kind of navigate through those, those things. Is there any kind of go-to tip that you have for, for, uh, anything regarding hunting or fishing that, that, um, if someone were to put you on the spot like I am right now <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and, we're, and we're to to ask you, and it could, it could even be something about um, acquiring a tag from another state. Um, you mentioned how you, um, uh, I think you said you've, you've hunted elk every year for the past 22 years. Um, maybe, maybe it's something about elk hunting specifically. Uh, is there something that, that um, is, is kind of your thing that, that you are have gotten to be really uh, proficient with and and has helped you be successful as a hunter or, or an angler. Mm, that's an interesting one. Um, patience is uh, one of the hardest things I think I deal with. But I'll tell mm-hmm. you, the more time you're out, you're out there, mm-hmm. the better chance you have of any success. Yeah. And the other thing is, I oh boy, I don't know how many times I've had a battle list with with people I'll even bring out. I remember Buddy Mike came elk hunting, and we didn't see elk for like four days straight. <laughs> oh I man! Said, I know, but you never know. I mean, we're, tomorrow could be the day. And he on the last day, he slept. And he goes, "I'm not getting up." I said, "You're what? No, you have to get up." Nope, <laughs> not doing it. Sure oh. enough, that's the day my cousin go. We go out there and we saw like twenty different elk there. Oh. The herd came through, and we're seeing elk. We came back to like you. Oh my goodness, we have, they're all out there. So number one, getting up and getting yeah. out there is, yeah. is rule number one. You got to be out yeah. in the field to make something happen. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, is, you know, trying to be patient, but if you can, I guess, and again, you, you it's a curveball of the strategy, but I'm going to say also, as far as the go-to, go turkey hunting. Almost every state has turkey hunting now, mm-hmm. and yeah. it's so much fun to go do something when you think you're going to see, hear, or be involved in that animal. Because a lot of times, I'll yeah. take people whitetail hunting, you might not see a whitetail. Yeah, even though right. we've got a lot of deer in our property, it's just, they can be sneaky and they're tough yep. to, you know, to have come by. Mm-hmm. But boy, if you can, there's Wisconsin and Minnesota and Iowa, I know they've got it. There's so many turkeys around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you can get, especially a kid involved and out there, number one, you hear a turkey gobble. Wow. They think that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. If you get yeah. to see them. That's really cool. And now if you're lucky enough to get one close enough for a shot, wow, I think you get people hooked. So Yeah. Yeah. As far as you know, as far as overall hooking somebody, I think that would be the deal. I'd recommend anybody try turkey hunting because it's easy, fun, and usually the weather's nice. That's a great tip. Love yeah, that. That's that's uh that's, that's an excellent bit of advice there. Well, Kevin, uh just one more time here, is uh, is there any way people can connect with you through Instagram, Facebook, and, and again, your website is kevinlovegreen.com. Uh, any other way that listeners can kind of follow along and see what's going on in the world of the creator and even, in a way, Lucky Luke himself? <laughs> Absolutely. So, at Kevin Lovegreen is my Instagram, and we've got a, a great team now. i got a gal that uh, posts a lot of fun stuff on there. 
and we uh, we watch and we reply to everybody who sends a comment, and it's it's been a really fun awesome. challenge for us, something that we didn't expect, but it's uh, pretty much a full time job just replying back to people. But we <laughs> thoroughly enjoy that. Yep. And then I, I believe the uh, Facebook page is author Kevin Lovegreen. And so both of those are really fun ways to keep up on what's going on. I love posting pictures like that walleye yesterday. I, 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 it's just fun to, to share the adventures, but we're mm. also sharing different things as the school year goes on. We got a really fun thing coming up here that we're, we're creating a coloring book of oh, all cool. the covers and some of the internal pictures of the books. And we are really excited for that to come out. Yeah, and, that's uh, awesome. And the kids, uh, more and more that are getting, and again, now with summer, they're getting outside a little bit more, but with the COVID thing, people stuck inside the coloring book, uh, we've been getting some great feedback for people excited to see that. So that's coming out soon. But again, you watch the Instagram, at Kevin Lovegreen. Um, you can definitely track all that stuff. And we got two new books. Well, I got three books that I've written because I've had so much time now, my, you know, sitting around, <laughs> so that's fantastic. But I've got a duck hunting book that's just around the corner. The cover's already done, and my my Margarita, my illustrator, just did an amazing job. And literally nice. yesterday, awesome. I uh, I finished writing a uh, ice fishing book, and oh, I, I, cool. I call it Frozen Fun. It's funny you started it by saying the Frozen Minnesota. Yeah. It's called Frozen Fun because there's a little bit of snowmobiling, there's a little bit of ice fishing and spear fishing, and that cover just got done yesterday. I'm trying to keep my illustrator going, but uh, we got to get that to the editors. So we've got if you track. You know, we're going to we're gonna keep showing these new books coming out, and it's fun, and we're excited to get them out in kids' hands. Wow, awesome. very cool. Yeah, I'm excited as a parent. <laughs> yes, right? No and, and honestly, you know, not to not to knock other children's books out there, but uh, I, can, I, I have been guilty of the uh, pinching a couple pages together as I as I uh, get through some of those, uh, some of those, uh, early yes. childhood books. But yes. when I'm reading the lucky Luke books, I'm enjoying it just as much as my kids are. That's funny. I, I did the same thing back with my kids. And what I realized, I didn't realize at the time I was going to write books, but I would start making up the story because I got so tired. <laughs> they wanted me to Johnny big buck. My Luke would want me to read it all the time. So then I'd start changing up the names and I'd throw my kids, you know, friends' names. Stop it. They're not in the book. I said, Yeah, but they could be. Let's make up a new story. <laughs> there you go, right? They'd get mad at me. But, but I appreciate that you uh, you enjoy reading the books. That's fun. No, I've, and I've heard, I've got a lot of uh, grandparents that have written me, and the grandma will always write me and say, I can't believe it. Grandpa right, reads these books all the time. He started reading with the kids, but now he brings up to the cabin and reads them himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So that's uh, oh, hey, fun to hear. We all have that that inner kid at heart, and you know it, it's it's funny how we can enjoy those things, and it kind of takes us back to memories that we've had and things like that. And that's just it, it's cool to expose that kid that we all have inside, you know. Yes, and that's what's fun is that I, you know again they're all true adventures. Right. So mm-hmm. that's why people go, wait a minute, I can, I can totally picture that northern breaking the line off, or I can, right. I can imagine that deer sneaking by or not having the deer stand in the right spot. I mean, they're all real stuff that happens, so I think it is true that uh, people do connect with them, and that makes it fun. Yes, yeah. oh, for, that's amazing. For sure. Well, one last, one last question here, Kevin, and this will, this will probably affect all of us uh, fa- or, uh, Facebook and Instagram followers here. Any big hunting plans for 2020 that you have yet ahead of you? You know, yeah, going back elk hunting once again. I uh, we we tried to draw in the same area we did last year in Colorado where we saw those elk, and mm-hmm. uh, so we did not get drawn. But my cousin 
who I hunt with for years and years, lives in Colorado. He's got his own donkeys. So we're going to go back up to uh, do another great elk hunt. And uh, my brother is going to join us this year. He's only been out there, oh, I think two other times over the last 10 or 15 years. So it's kind of fun that he's going to join us. And yeah, that's, I'm fired up about that. Yeah, that is cool. I'm jealous. I I got a Brandon and I have talked about that before. How we uh, we need to get an elk an elk hunt going here one of these one of these years. Actually, um, it's kind of funny. My son Jonas, there's a a video on my uh, YouTube channel. He uh, <laughs> he picked up a, a vacuum cleaner attachment, and just from like watching yeah. hunting shows with me, he uh, treated it as a bugling tube. <laughs> <laughs> he started howling on that thing and glunking and everything else so it was it was uh it was pretty funny but successful yeah. moment as a dad yeah that's right that's right so uh we're looking well, that's forward one to one of the cool things about elk hunting is that you can you can use that elk call and it's fun because it's loud and yeah and it yeah. works that's a cool yeah. part so yeah, it is exciting right. to get out there and use it <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to to following along. I hope you uh, hope you're able to notch a tag and um, and come out of it with a new Lucky Luke story that we can read about in the future. So, yeah, that would be great. Well, I got a lot of elk ones I could write. I I might have to buckle down and write one more. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> right. Sounds like it's one of your favorite things to do. So, so uh, yes. That's great. Well, thank you, Kevin, very much. We really appreciate you coming on the show. And uh, if you're if you're listening in, please check out Kevin's stuff. Once again, you can go to kevinlovegreen.com, or you can follow him on Facebook or Instagram. Get your hands on the Lucky Luke series. Uh, you will, if you're an aunt, an uncle, a mom, a dad, a grandparent, an older sibling, whoever you are, daycare worker, teacher, you're going to help your kids out by introducing them to Lucky Luke. I, I, I really believe that. And so uh, please take the time to, to find those and um, uh, let Kevin know, you know, talk to him and, and give him a good review and, and uh, give him, give him uh, uh, some feedback on how you've enjoyed his work. So thanks again, Kevin. And as always, Brandon, thanks for jumping on as well. Yes, sir. No problem. Yeah. There is no doubt about Kevin's passion for the outdoors. Talking with people who are as excited about hunting and fishing as Kevin is just stirs up your own passion for being outside. At least it does for me. I strongly recommend you get your hands on a copy or just the entire series of the Lucky Luke books and read them with all of the potential second gen hunters in your life. Hunting season is getting so close. Squirrels and rabbits are going to open in just about a month here in Iowa. Make sure you are getting all of your final prep work in. Also be sure to subscribe and review this podcast. It really is encouraging to receive your feedback. And I also hope you are subscribed to the First Gen Hunter YouTube channel. And I hope you're following on Instagram, Go Wild, and Facebook. All of those social media links are available 24-7, 365 and one-quarter days of the year at www.firstgenhunter.com. Now, go enjoy the great outdoors, and as always, take care and take someone hunting.